Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, we want to welcome those of you not only who are here in the room, but also those of you that are joining us online or by way of television, by podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the, the book of 1 John. It's near the very end of the Bible. If you get to the book of Revelation, make a left and go back a few books. And uh, we are going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2 today. As you're turning there, uh, I want to just give you a notification of our annual business meeting. If you're new to Cal. Um, every year, our Constitution and Bylaws ask that we have an annual business meeting for those who have gone through the formal membership process. So if you have gone through the formal membership process, you've taken the membership class at some point in some form at Calvary, then we want to invite you to uh, come and be a part of that annual business meeting. It's going to be Wednesday, March 3rd, so coming up just here uh, very quickly. And we're going to have it here in Auditorium 1 and Auditorium 2. It's going to be a little bit different because of the protocol and practices that we have right now, but uh, we were not able to have that meeting last year and are actually very excited to have it. Um, usually an annual business meeting in a lot of contexts is just boring, but for us it's a celebration and we wanna celebrate the good things that God has done, especially after this last year. So if you've been through the membership process, I wanna encourage you to make it a priority to join us for that business meeting. Um, we're gonna ask that you register for that as well, really for two reasons. One, it helps us to prepare, but two, it helps us to know that we'll have the quorum that we need so that we can hold the meeting according um, to our Constitution and bylaws. So you can watch for more information in your email this week. If you're a member, you can go out to our website right on the homepage. There's a link you can click to register online um, for this uh, very important annual business meeting that I hope you will join us and make it a priority to be with us on March 3rd. We're going to look at just kind of a sliver of 1 John chapter 2. We started a new series of messages that we're calling The Power of Love because all throughout the book of 1 John, you see this theme of love. It starts to emerge in chapter 2, although we're not going to see it a whole lot here today. As we get into chapter 3, that's where this idea becomes prominent. The Apostle John in this letter mentions the word love more than any other New Testament book, and he does it in just five chapters. We'll get there next week, um, but we're going we're gonna to look at chapter 2. There's so much in chapter 2. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and read it for yourself. In fact, I, I would encourage you as we go through this book over these next few weeks that maybe even before you come to church or you watch online that you take time to read that chapter. Like next week, we'll be in chapter three. So maybe this, this coming week, read chapter three before you come so you're familiar with it. There's just no way for us to cover everything in just the limited time that we have in a service, um, you might want to read the whole book over this period of time. Maybe you wanna read the whole book every week. There's, there's a powerful principles that are here in this book. So next week, we'll get to the idea of love and see why we've chosen this title. This week, though, I, I wanna do nothing fancy from a sermon perspective. I wanna do a, a walkthrough of just one verse and kind of show you what we see here in chapter two. There is so much in this chapter, and initially I wanted to sum it all up, I wanted to give you a whole summary, and yet I felt led to just look at this one verse, and we'll, we'll pull from some other places throughout the book as we look at this, but go to the end of the chapter, 1 John chapter two, verse 28. We're gonna look at this verse as John kind of sums up this portion. In fact, many scholars believe that this verse is a key transition from kind of the first part of the book into the next part of the book, 
Here's what he says. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. What I wanna do, and, and maybe the, the common phrase we use, I wanna unpack this, right? I wanna take time and look at the different segments, portions, phrases in this verse and show you some things that really struck me, especially in the big picture of the book of 1 John. So let's start here with this, this name that he calls us. He says, and now, which is a very transitional phrase, right? He says, okay, I'm gonna move on to something else. He says, and now, dear children, you're gonna see this if you read through the book of 1 John, you're gonna see that phrase, dear children, 10 times. Because John has this love. It's, it's his favorite way to refer to the congregation that he's writing to. If you remember, we believe that John wrote this probably to the church in Ephesus and also other churches would have read it in the area of Asia Minor, which is in modern day Turkey. John is an old man at this time. He's writing from a position of authority and influence. He had been a pastor in that church. He's speaking to them truth in these moments. And so he is a model pastor and a shepherd. And I love what he calls me. I love what he calls you. I love what he calls us. He doesn't just say church. He doesn't just say believers. He doesn't just say saints. He doesn't just say, hey, you. You ever been called, hey, you? I had a friend who used to not be able to remember people's names. And so every time he needed to talk to some uh, female that he didn't know, or that he did know but couldn't remember their name, he'd just go, hey, lady, like that. Here's what John says. He calls us dear children. Man, it's so good to know that you are loved and you belong. That, that's that phrase. He says, dear children, look, I, I don't know what kind of home you came from. I don't know what your family background is like. But I just know that as a person, and I sensed it in my home growing up, I will eternally be grateful for this. And you can add that to the people that are in your family, your extended family, your sphere of influence. It's so good to know that you are loved and you belong. So when you read this book, even when he's dealing with difficult topics, even when he's trying to encourage, even when he's trying to speak to challenges, there's something about when he calls us dear children. We live in a fractured society, do we not? I mean, it's everywhere. And family is so important. You're gonna see this, John's pastoral heart. In fact, if you're gonna read through this book, I'd encourage you, you might wanna do a little study as you go through, especially if you have an online Bible or digital Bible of some kind. It's real easy for you to check and see. What does he say every time when he says, dear children? Like when he says, dear children, what's he setting up? What's he trying to communicate? Because those are all key points when he's trying to communicate to folks. And he hits this idea of being a family. You don't just see it here. But you, you see it earlier in 1 John chapter 2. I want to go back because John talks about why he's writing this book. Look at what he says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his, that's Jesus' name. And I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. If you look at it in your Bible, it's probably phrased out a little bit more like a poem. It's got a lyrical tone to it as he writes this. 
And he's writing these words of encouragement to the church. And I love that he uses this picture, this tone, this idea of a family. And I love what he's speaking to here because he's telling us things. When he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, he's writing to the whole church. He's writing to all of us. And then it's interesting when he says, I'm writing to you fathers. He's not just talking about men who have children. He's talking about those, male and female, who have age, influence, and tenure in the church, maybe of an older generation, or, or maybe they have more, more seasoned saints, more seasoned time within the church. And he speaks to them in particular. And then when he says, I'm writing to you young men, he's not just speaking about teenage boys. <laughs> he's speaking about those of a younger generation. And what's interesting is he calls each one to step into a place of leadership. He calls each one to step into a place of influence. He calls each one to lead in some way, to stand up for their faith in some way, that we're all needed in some way. Look, every generation is called to lead in the season they're in. And he doesn't leave anybody else. He he calls it out here that every generation is called to lead in the season they are in. And when I got thinking about this, I just, I wanted to call this out in your life. I wanted to call this out in the life of our church. No matter what season your life might be in, God is calling you to overcome the evil one. He's calling you to stand up for your faith. He's calling you to put your trust in Jesus. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll hear people say things like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know, I did my time, or I served in this season. Or they'll say, well, maybe I'm not in a place of leadership yet, or I don't have influence in this way. I love how he calls out in particular the young men. And I wanna call out some younger generations, young families, our students, young adults, that God is calling you to places of influence and leadership, that as you overcome the evil one, that he's called you to a place where you can minister to others because you're strong and the word of God lives in you. Like he's calling those of us who may be fathers or older in the faith, a generation that has more experience to invest in the life of others because we know the father, we know God, we can show that love to other people. Like he's calling us in every generation to lead in the season that you're in. And are you making the most of that season? Whatever it is that this season brings to you, whether it be energy or experience, whether it be a season that you're in where you have this unique momentum or opportunity or maybe one where you have wisdom and can give time and guidance, whatever it is, are you allowing God to use you to make the church better, to make your family better, to make the kingdom better because of the season that you're in? That's what he calls us to in this place because he says we're a part of his family. That's why he says, dear children, recognize the family that you're a part of. And then he goes back to this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, and it's just this one word here, but it's really important. He says, continue in him. That word continue is in other places in 1 John where you see remain. In fact, Jesus is, is quoted using this word in the gospel of John, that we remain in him, that we continue in him, that we have our lives connected to him in a way, almost like a, with an umbilical cord that brings life to us, that we continue in him. You're gonna see this over and over again. And, and I guess I wanna, I wanna hit this because there's some things that are important for us to understand if we're going to remain, if we're gonna continue, if we're gonna stay connected to Jesus. One, we have to continue living like Jesus. Whatever season we're in, where, wherever our life is, it's important that we continue living like Jesus. And John stresses this. Go back to the beginning of this chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse five. He says, but if anyone obeys God's word, his word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. 
This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. He doesn't say you must talk like. He doesn't say you must think like. He doesn't say you must make other people think that you know or are like. He says you must live as Jesus did. And there's something important about this that we recognize that we're called to continue in him by living like Jesus. I, sometimes I get confused about things and I just push them aside. Like I don't understand what he says when he says that love for God is truly made complete in them when we obey his word. But what helps us if we understand the context of that time? See, when John's writing this, he was writing to a culture that had no real moral compass. There were no sexual ethics. There were so many things that we would consider wrong or perverted or immoral that didn't have those boundaries in that time. And John's saying to the church, you need to live like Jesus did. I'm calling you as believers to live based on a higher standard, to live according to God's word, because when you do, then there's a completeness that comes to your life. When we make our own rules, when we just choose for ourselves, when we just do things the way we want to, there will always be this emptiness. But when we say, God, I want to live according to your way, not because he's trying to take away our fun or demand that we live a certain way, but because he knows what is right for us and what is healthy for us and what, what completes us. When we come to those things, there's a fullness that comes to our lives. That's why he says, if you really claim to live in him, then you got to live as Jesus did. If you're going to continue in him, then you have to ask yourself, am I living like Jesus? It's not enough just to show up to church. It's, it's not enough just to watch on Sundays. It's not enough just to tell someone you're a Christian if they ask. At some point, what really makes a difference is I have to live like Jesus did. How do I know what that is? I gotta read the gospels. I see how he talked. I see how he treated others. I look at the life of Jesus. Maybe I ask myself throughout the day, would Jesus think this way? Would Jesus say these things? Would Jesus post those things? <laughs> Would Jesus respond like that to someone else? Because if I really claim to live in him, then I'm gonna live as Jesus did. That, that's what John's talking about when he uses the word continue. He, he's talking to us that we continue living like Jesus. Where do we do it? Well, let me take it another level. That we continue doing this in a world of temptation. Like John warns his readers that if you're gonna live like Jesus, recognize there's gonna be challenges because we live in a world that's full of temptation. Anybody notice that? <laughs> Living in a world of temptation? I remember, I remember I was, I was at one point in my life um, very much more committed to eating more healthy than I am in this moment. There's a confession, and I'm going to repent at some point. It just probably won't be tonight. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my ways. But I remember I was trying to eat more healthy, and uh, I was... I was sitting in a parking lot and I'd pulled in and I was actually waiting for the store to open. It was early. I was waiting for the store to open. I looked over and there was a fast food place that was right next door that was open that had plastered all these big pictures on the window of all the things that I was swearing off eating in that moment. And first I got real judgy. Ugh, I can't believe people are eating that stuff. And then I thought, I'd like to eat that stuff. And it was there, right? It was this world of temptation. And it would have been so easy for me to just pull through the drive-thru while I was waiting for the store to open. And what I did is none of your business. <laughs> no, I didn't. But there's a moment where you gotta go, what do I do with this? Look what John says. First John chapter two, verse 15. He says, do not love the world 
or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and he breaks it down for us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So he says, look, at some point, if you're gonna continue in him, you have to decide how you're going to respond in a world full of temptation. There was a Jewish historian in the century before Jesus named Philo, and one of the things that he wrote, he said, it's impossible for love of the world to coexist with love for God, just as it is impossible for light and darkness to be present at the same time. We have to choose. Where will we continue? Will we continue to live like Jesus? Will we continue to serve him in a world of temptation? And let me challenge you with this. We need to continue and do not give up. This is huge in this passage. This is huge in what John is trying to say to the church that he's writing to. He says, I want you to continue and do not give up. Go back to our verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. He says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. He stresses this here, when he appears. This is what helps us to know we can, we can continue in him and do not give up because Jesus is going to appear again. It's not a matter of if he's going to appear. It's when he's going to appear. Now, we don't know when. We don't know what it's gonna look like. Here's what we do know. The fact of Jesus appearing is certain. The timing is uncertain. Like we know for sure that he is going to appear, we just don't know when. And if we do know that he is, then we can continue in him. We can continue living for him. We can continue living a life that is, that is focused on him because we know he's going to come. Again, this whole idea kind of reminds me of the birth of, birth of a child, right? Because when you get to a certain point, if you're a parent and you've, you've had a child, you know you're gonna get to a certain point that you know this child is going to be born, we just don't know when. We're not sure exactly when it's gonna happen. We, it could be in the next few weeks. It could be today. We, we don't know. We just know at some point, this birth is going to come. And at some point, I think the Bible uses that same kind of imagery for when Jesus comes again. We don't know when he's gonna come, but we do know he is. The, the passage here, when it talks about his appearing, when he's gonna come again, it's when he's going to be revealed. That word appearing even has unveiled like at some point, somebody's gonna pull back the curtain or, or they're gonna lift off the, the shroud and we're gonna see Jesus. He's going to appear. So we continue because he is appearing. In the hard times, when things are difficult, when we're not sure we're gonna make it, when we don't understand what's going on around us, when we've suffered loss, all those things, in those moments, we choose to continue. We choose to live, I, I, had the, I had the very real privilege. You know, one of the things that comes with, with our role as pastors is that we have the privilege to be with people on some of the very best and some of the toughest days of their lives. And I stood in the hospital this week with a family as they said goodbye to their loved one, knowing confident because of who he was, how he lived, and how Jesus changed his life, that they will see him again in heaven someday. And he lived his life knowing that someday Jesus is going to appear. 
looking, if you're going through hard times, if you have that focus, it will help you to continue even in those hard times. Like we're living through some unique times right now. If you're, if you're watching this at a later date, we're in the, in the middle of February and there's a lot of snow, right? <laughs> we've, got, we've got more snow than I can remember right now. There is a lot of it. The only, the only time I can remember, I remember snow like this when I was a kid, when I used to have to walk to school uphill both ways. Anybody else? Right, I remember that kind of snow. But here's the good news. We're in the middle of it right now, but the grass will be appearing again. <laughs> like spring's gonna come. And I remind myself of that when I'm shoveling my driveway. I remind myself of that when I'm freezing cold, that someday I'm gonna hang on because I'm gonna get on the other side of this. Spring's gonna come again and summer's gonna come again. I've got something to hold on to. When you have a goal in front of you, it changes your perspective Many of you know Pastor Chris McCormick, our associate pastor that's a part of our team here at Calvary. You might not know that probably for the last, you know, probably six, seven years, he's, he's continually been in school. He went back and got his MDiv, his Master of Divinity, and he is just in the process, he'll graduate in May, of finishing up his doctorate in ministry. He's going from Pastor Chris to Dr. McCormick. We want to celebrate with, that, with him. That's a big deal. But I've tracked with him during this time. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of commitment. It's been a lot of time. But he held out there that he knew that at the end of this, there was a goal that he was working towards. And so you don't give up. You continue. I stress this because I felt so strongly and certainly when I was putting this message together, someone in this room, listening to this podcast, watching on TV, watching online, is at the place where you wonder, can I make it? Do I continue in this marriage? Do I continue in this job? Do I continue with this schooling? Do I continue with my faith? Do I continue holding out hope for something I haven't seen? I don't, I don't know what place you are in, but you're asking yourself, do I continue in this place? And the Holy Spirit would speak to you and go, because Jesus is coming back, because he's there, you continue and you do not give up. There is something that you hold on to in this time and in this process. You believe and you continue which takes us back to this passage of scripture. First John chapter two, verse 28. John says, and now dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may, watch this, when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. We have the opportunity to be confident and unashamed. And there's a choice that we get to make. I remember when I was a kid, we used to get these books from the Book fair, I suppose they're still out there. They're called the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Does anybody remember those? That you'd get to a certain page and then you could, you could read so far and then it would say, if you want Sally to survive, read page 48. If Sally falls off the cliff, read page 52. Right, you, you read these books and then you, you get to choose where the story's gonna go. Well, you get to choose with your life too because someday Jesus is gonna come back and you have a choice, it's one of two options. You'll either be confident or you'll be ashamed. And you get to choose. Let's talk about our options. We can be confident. Like if we'll put our trust in him, if we'll know that Jesus is coming back, we can be confident in our faith. 
And I think that confidence is is practical in our lives. In fact, we see it in the way that John writes about it in different seasons. On the one hand, he gives us a present confidence. Like right now, in this life, we can be confident in the present because of what Jesus has done for us. And his confidence, it, it changes us with who he is. You say, well, where does this confidence come from? Well, it's part of what we talked about last week when we talked about forgiveness. If you weren't with us for this, for this first look at 1 John chapter 1, I'd encourage you to go back because John gives us this powerful statement about what Jesus has done for us at the end of chapter 1, and then he continues it at the beginning of chapter 2. Watch what he says. He says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven. It changes us. He gives us confidence. He helps us in those seasons. And because we have that confidence from him, then it makes our lives different. Watch this. In 1 John chapter 5, he comes back to this idea of confidence. 1 John 5, 14, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Because of what Jesus did for us when he died and paid the price for our sins and we could have forgiveness and salvation, and because we know that Jesus is going to come again, when we pray, we have confidence. Our present confidence changes how we pray. Like, we can pray with this confidence. That that word has the idea of boldly. We see that in, in the book of Hebrews. When we pray, we can do it with confidence, knowing that he hears us. There's nothing more frustrating than to talk to someone and to think that they're not listening. Anybody else? I don't know, but that's just one of the things that just, oh, it grates me. When you're trying to have a conversation and you're just really clear, they're not hearing a word that you say. Can I tell you that God does not do that? When you pray, you can have confidence that he hears you that he's listening, and that he'll respond. Maybe not in the way, maybe not in the timing that you hoped for, but if you have that confidence, it changes the way that we pray. So that's our present confidence. We also have a future confidence. As we look to the future, John talks about confidence again in verse four of 1 John, and he says this, verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment In this world, we are like Jesus. So that confidence doesn't just change the way that we pray today. It also gives us confidence for the future on the day of judgment. That when judgment day comes, we know that before Christ, we can stand with confidence. We don't have to be ashamed, Scripture tells us. So our confidence changes how we live. We live our lives with great confidence, knowing one day we'll stand before him. With this future confidence, we can live like Jesus does. We can live the way he wants us to. Look, I don't know when he's coming back. And I know it could be at any moment. But until he does, I want to confidently live my life with everything that I have. I don't want to leave anything on the table. I want to say, Jesus, I want to live my life for you, confident that I'll see you. So that changes the decisions that I make. It affects the choices I have. It affects how much of myself I give to something. It makes me go, God, I want to live with confidence so my life will make a difference for you. And I'll hear you say on that day confidently, well done, good and faithful servant. It changes that. So that's your choice. (laughs) You, you can choose confidence 
Or the option is you can choose to be ashamed because you're going to have to stand before him. And will you be able to stand before him with confidence or with shame? Now, look, some of you are already looking back at some things in your life and going, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want him to ask me about that in that moment. I don't want to have to deal with that thing. Isn't that the beauty of the forgiveness that we've already talked about? Like there's forgiveness that's available to us in Christ Jesus so we don't have to be ashamed. But I want to live with that confidence. I want to know that every moment of my life, to the best of my ability, that it mattered. Look, we can be unashamed before him. That that idea of unashamed that's there in verse 28 has the idea of to shrink back, to kind of slip away. Have you ever, have you ever sat in a class and the teacher asks a question and you get as low as you can so they won't see you? Like, you're not raising your hand. You're just hoping they don't call on you. At some point, we've been called not to shrink back, but to live our lives with confidence. I remember when I was probably late elementary years, and it was summer. My mom and dad would both go to work, and they'd leave me uh, a list of to-do things that I needed to do. Some days it had something to do with the chore around the house, and then there were things that were everyday things that I was supposed to do. During that time, I was taking guitar lessons. My parents were paying for me to take guitar lessons, and during that time, they also expected that since they were paying for me to take guitar lessons, that I would practice for my guitar lessons. That was one of the things. My mom would come home, and she'd say, did you practice today? And I can remember there was a season of time where I just didn't want to because I was a kid. I thought that just at some point, I would magically become a virtuoso, I wouldn't have to practice. So I just didn't. I'm a kid. But I also knew that she'd ask. And I can remember very clearly, like I can remember, I knew like clockwork what time they would get home from work. They worked in the same little town, and so my dad would drop my mom off, go to work, and then he'd pick her up, and they'd come back home together every day. And I knew 4.30 almost on the dot they'd come home. And so what I would do, and I've repented of this, and my heart has changed but what I would do is about 4.20, 4.25, knowing they'd be home pretty soon, I would go and take my guitar, and, I would, and I'm supposed to practice for 30 minutes, right? I'd take my guitar, and I'd put my fingers on the strings and just kind of hold them there because they would leave a little indentation. Anybody know what I'm talking about, guitar players? Would leave a little indentation. And so they, if my mom came home and said to me, did you practice? I'd go, yeah, look, I just finished up when you got home. Had I practiced... If she had said to me, okay, cool, play something for me, you know what I would have been? <laughs> Ashamed. Now, I was able to kind of pull that off for some time until it eventually kind of fell apart on me. But someday Jesus is going to stand in front of, you're going to stand in front of Jesus when he appears. And he's going to ask you what you did with your life. And it's not going to be enough for you to just go, here, I got five minutes worth of practice on my fingers. You'd stand there Ashamed. Look, I, I want with confidence and unashamed to stand in front of him. My question is, will you be ashamed of how you lived? Not if you stand in front of him. But this verse tells us when you do. Because someday we will. That's why we want to continue in him. So that when he appears with confidence and unashamed, we can stand before him. Go back to this passage, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Here's what John says to us. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident 
and unashamed before him at his coming. In, in the book of 1 John, this is the most explicitly, the only place actually, where John refers this implicitly at the idea of Jesus coming again. He uses a, a word there that you see throughout scripture. It's parousia, to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's a Greek word. You'll hear that used sometimes kind of theologically. We've co-opted that word, the word parousia, which refers to Jesus' second coming. In fact, in this verse, he kind of has a little play on words here because confident is the word parousia. And this is the word parousia. Now, you don't get that when you read the English, but in the Greek, John's actually being kind of a little tricky here. He's being a little creative. He's giving you a little something to remember. He's making a play on words. In fact, he's saying, will you have parousia at his parousia? <laughs> he wants him to remember this. And this word parousia means confidence, and this word parousia means his coming. And so what he's saying here is, will you have confidence at his coming? Because he is coming again. And do you have confidence to know that when you see him, you've continued in him? And he'll say to you, well done. You won't be ashamed. And you'll live the life that he called you to. Will you have confidence at his coming? This word parousia is really interesting because the Christians basically took that on from the Greek language as a word of their own. But if you were to use that in the first century and just use it out in the world, the idea of parousia was this, that if there was a king or an emperor who was gonna come and pay a visit to his subjects, that was referred to as his parousia, that the emperor was going to come and that it would be a big deal. The closest thing that I can compare it to is I remember, remember real clearly back September 6th, 2001. So we're talking just days before September 11. None of us had any idea how the world would change in just five days. But on September 6th, I remember Doug Clay, who was the, the pastor here at the time, and I was the kids pastor, he said, hey man, I've got a couple of tickets. I'm going with a group of guys. Do you want to come with me? Because President George W. Bush is going to come and he's going to speak at the University of Toledo at Savage Hall. Does anybody remember this? He came with President Fox from Mexico. It was this big deal. What's, what's that, 20 years ago now almost? And I remember going, and I'm just, I'm just kind of a young guy, and I'm going to this thing, and I remember the place was just packed with people. Do you remember when we used to pack places with people? The place was just packed with people. And they were all waiting. And in that moment, with all the, the pomp and circumstance, with all the, the, the special idea of who was there, politics kind of got set aside because somebody really special, somebody really important was there. And they played hail to the chief and people cheered and there was this big deal and there was security. And this was this really special moment. It was this international kind of meeting between our two countries. It was, and I just remember the excitement in that moment. And I remember when the president walked out and it was like, that's him, <laughs> that's him. I'm in the same room. And then when he looked over and went, hey, Chad, that was so cool. He didn't do that, he didn't do that. <laughs> but how special it was to be there in that moment because that was his parousia. That's what that idea is. When that leader comes in, in majesty, in this joyous procession, and the Christians took that word to talk about Jesus coming. You do know that Jesus is coming, don't you? 
But so many times when we talk about Jesus coming, we're so quick to talk about it with dread. We look at all the things that, and and, and the Bible does talk about this, like all the signs of him coming. And we know that there will be tribulation. And we know we have all the things in the book of Revelation. We have all those things. But that's not what John's talking about when he talks to the church. When John talks to the church, he's talking to them about the fact that Jesus is going to come and it's a joyous occasion. He's going to come with majesty. And I wonder if maybe I should change some of the tone of how I speak about Jesus' second coming. I wonder if I should speak about it with less dread and more like something I'm looking forward to. I think we need less apocalypse and more anticipation. I think we need less fear and more faith. I think we need to talk about it with less destruction and more destiny, maybe with less horror and maybe with more hope. Look, Jesus is coming again. That's what we're looking forward to. And if we'll continue in him, when we stand before him, we can do it with confidence and we can do it unashamed because Jesus is coming. The question is, Jesus is coming. Are you living like he is? Like in your life, are you continuing in him, ready for the day that he's gonna come again? And as John speaks to this group of people, as he writes to a church in need of hope, as he says to them, dear children, I've got something to share with you. I want you to hold on even through the tough times because Jesus is going to appear and he's going to come again. And when he does, it's going to change everything. That's our hope. His parousia is our confidence. That's what we build our lives upon. My hope for you, dear children, is that you continue in him and that you're ready When Dwight Eisenhower was the president, he vacationed in Denver, Colorado one time. And there was a six-year-old boy who heard about the president being there. Little guy had cancer, not a very hopeful diagnosis. And he expressed somewhere, he said, when the president's in town, I'd really like to meet him. Somehow that word drifted to President Eisenhower. And so on a Sunday morning, the presidential limousine pulled up to this little guy's house and unbeknownst to his family, General President Dwight D. Eisenhower stood on their porch and greeted this little guy. When he knocked on the door, dad came to the door. Dad was wearing blue jeans, a t-shirt. He hadn't shaved for a couple of days. And let's just say he didn't feel like he was in much of a state to meet the president. He was dumbfounded. The president met with this little guy, kind of made his day, changed everything for him. And the president left, and they asked the dad, what'd you think about that? And he kind of looked at himself, and he said, what a way to meet the president. If I'd have known the president was coming, I probably wouldn't have worn jeans and a t-shirt. I probably would have changed things a little bit. I'd have prepared a little bit better. Can I tell you that Jesus is gonna come? In fact, the Bible says like a thief unannounced. Will you be ready to meet him? You can continue in him with confidence. You can live a life knowing that you are forgiven, that you have grace, you have his strength. You don't have to be ashamed. And knowing that one day at his parousia, when he comes again, you're gonna stand before him. Will you be ready? Jesus is coming. My question is, are you living like it? So can I ask you right where you are, whether you're in this room or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And this is the question I just want you to consider. Before we close out this service,
if Jesus were to come today, would you be able to stand before him with confidence and unashamed? For some of us, the answer very clearly for you is no. (laughs) I know that there are things in my life that aren't right between me and God. And that today's a day when I need to make those things right. And I need to ask him for his forgiveness. And I need to ask him for his grace. I need to ask him to change my life. And in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And there's no better time than right now for you to say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need your help. I give you my life. For others of us, there's this moment where we know that we've asked for forgiveness, that things are right between us and God. But maybe we're saying, I'm not living my life continuing in him. I'm letting too many things defeat me. I'm letting too many things um, come into my life that look more like the world and less like Jesus. Today, I need to say, God, help me to live with more confidence and continue in you. For others of us, we've been living our lives for today and forgetting that we have hope for eternity ahead. Right now is a time when we need to say, Jesus, Help me to live looking forward to your parousia, longing for your coming. I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to ask you to do is right, right there in your own heart in this moment, would you just for yourself, would you pray along with me? And however you need to respond, whether you're here in a seat, whether you're watching this on the screen, listening to these words somehow, Would you let the Holy Spirit touch your heart? Would you allow God's word to impact your life? Father, in this moment, we thank you for your word. Your word that is living and active. And God, you've allowed us to see words that that John wrote so many years ago and how they apply to our lives today. And so for the one who says, God, I know I'm not right with you and in this moment needs to say, I can't do it on my own anymore. Jesus, I give you my life. I need your forgiveness. I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. As in their heart, as in this moment, those words impact their lives, would you show them who you are? God, would you change them and help them to become new? Lord, there's others of us that need to choose to live with confidence before you, to continue to not give up, to hold on and to live like Jesus and to look for and to long for your appearing with less dread, more destiny, less horror, more hope. Hold on to the fact that Jesus is coming again. Lord, thank you for your word that speaks to us. Thank you for the way that you work in and challenge our hearts. Would you help us to live it out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? In Jesus' name, amen.